Welcome to the Big Drink Rethink podcast with me, your host, Anna Donaghy. If you've noticed that the drinking culture in the UK is changing and you're curious about why and what this means to your world, then this is the podcast for you. Throughout this series, I will be chatting with the thought-provoking, forward-thinking people at the heart of this shift to find out what makes them tick and to explore the sober-curious perspective from all angles. And I'll also be giving you oodles of personal tools and tactics to help you get on board the big drink rethink. So I'm very excited to be welcoming Adrian Charles onto the show today. Adrian has been a presenter on BBC Two Radio 5 Live since the day it started in 1994. On BBC Television, he launched and presented Working Lunch, Match of the Day 2, The One Show and The Apprentice You're Fired. He's also lead football presenter for ITV and had a weekly column in The Guardian whilst also writing regularly for The Sun and The Tablet. Last year, Adrian wrote a brilliant book called The Good Drinker, How I Learned to Love Drinking Less, following the making of a BBC documentary called Drinkers Like Me. I've been really looking forward to having you on the show, Adrian, so welcome. And thank you very, very much indeed for being here. Not at all. Not at all. As you know, The Big Drink Rethink is all about... Uh, you know, looking at the alcohol culture in the UK and, and how it's shifting. And I've, I've got to say, I loved The Good Drinker um, because I think it's fair to say that drinking was incredibly entrenched in your life. And I think the whole book has a sublime honesty about it, which will speak to a lot of people, not, not least of all the honesty with which you talk about the fondness and the attachment that you have for drinking, um, that you still have for drinking. And you're very, very unapologetic about the fact that whilst you have any choice about it, you'd be hugely reluctant to ever stop drinking. Um, but you have, you know, shifted from being what you call a very heavy drinker to a relatively more moderate drinker. And I just wanted to um, maybe kick off by talking about the circumstances surrounding your decision to, to move that way. Because um, I think in the book, you say it all came as a bit of a shock, um, but it's definitely where your sort of reappraisal started, right? Yeah. I mean, there was kind of several shocking things, but at the same time, it was a fairly gradual thing. I just It just struck me that I was drinking more and more the older I got, but without ever getting any anything, any obvious symptoms, I certainly wasn't falling over or getting into trouble. It was just a little bit day by day. Never, never drank during the day. Never really got drunk. You know, just no one objectively would look at me and think I had a problem. But then, I think it, a couple of things started making me think about, you know, addiction to alcohol. And I thought, well, how how could I possibly argue I'm not dependent when I can't remember the last day I didn't have a drink? How could I say I'm not dependent when I, you know, I the thought of a social occasion without a drink was impossible. So I started exploring that. That led to a TV program, which then led me to do what I sort of advise everybody to do now, which is just 
make a note of how much you're drinking. And once I counted it up, I was absolutely staggered. I mean, I was drinking, I was just drinking absolutely loads, you know, in one day. And it wasn't even a heavy drinking day. It was a couple of, it was a few pints actually before the football match I went to see. Nothing in the afternoon. Then went to a party in the evening, had a couple of pints when I got there, got some champagne, some wine, another couple of uh, pints later on. And then that was like 36 units or something. I think in one day, you're only supposed to drink 14 all week. So I knew I was onto something then. But then, you know, I was only making this TV program. I mean, the course that I had a liver scan and there were some signs of trouble there. So... I mean, that, you know, if, if my mind hadn't been focused already, it certainly was there. And I think it's, I think it's um, really fascinating in the book when you talk about the fact that, you know, following that liver scan, the, the, the doctor or whoever you were talking to at the time basically said, you know, there's a, there's a problem here and you need to, you know, stop with the drinking or severely cut down with the drinking. And what really struck me at that point is you made... Um, I would call it a strategic choice as much as anything, you know, you, you, you want to drink and the idea of cutting it out of your life altogether just didn't feel like an option for you for all the reasons that, you know, people can, can read about in the book, but it, you know, for you to be able to drink and to carry on drinking and to drink into old age in the way that you want to, in a way that you enjoy, um, pointed to the need to, to moderate. To, to cut it down now, so less now. The sort of I mean, what was what I was sort of railing against was this idea that the only way of dealing with it is to stop completely. It was more stubbornness. I was determined to prove otherwise. If I had my time again, I think I would have done it differently. I would. But there is some evidence suggests that stopping completely for mm-hmm. three months, chance to rewire. A bit and also as somebody said to me you know they they were not drinking for three months or more i think but they described it as giving themselves time to work out what kind of drinking they wanted to be and i thought that was an intelligent way of looking at it but this idea that if you drink to excess the only way of tackling it is to stop completely i think is just dangerous and wrong don't get me wrong for some people it is the only way I get that. But for others, just the spectre of that in itself is enough to stop people addressing their problem. They just think, well, I don't want to stop completely, so I'm not even going to go to the doctor. I'm not even going to consider it. Yeah. Because I, because I keep hearing that I'm dealing with it is to stop completely. That in itself is a disincentive for people to tackle their drink. hundred percent. And I think um, when... When we look at the work that AA do, and I'm going to really stress here, I am nothing other than full of respect for AA and obviously the hundreds of thousands of people that they've helped and continue to help. I think because AA have for a very long time been regarded as the only path for anyone who wants to deal with their drinking, their, their approach has therefore sort of conditioned us to believe that possibly that abstinence, which is obviously what they what, what they advocate, is in fact the only way that we can go about things. Whereas for someone like you and, you know, someone who was drinking the number of units that you say you shockingly realised you drank, the fact that you drink 
you know, a third or a quarter of that now is awesome. I mean, that that is nothing short of life-changing, um, but you've managed to keep it in your life. Yeah, but that wasn't, that wasn't difficult. Mm. I mean, the one, just arguing against myself slightly, the, the one advantage I really had is that I'm not a a no off switch kind of drinker. You 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 speak to a lot of people and say, Oh, I've got no off switch. Once I start, I just can't stop. I've just got to keep going. Or I find it very hard to stop of an evening. No, I'm just I've never been that kind of drinker. I'm like that with food, interestingly enough. Once I start eating, I can't stop. Um but with drink I'm not like that. So I had that to my advantage. But what I what I really well, what I really just did, I just had a good think about it. I know it sounds lame, but I started to think about what, you know, of all the drinks I've drunk in my life, and I had this mental picture, I worked out that and since I started drinking at the age of, what, 50, if you lined up all the drinks I've drunk in that time, it'd be three or four <laughs> miles long. Well, that's bad enough. It's quite a useful mental image to have. An even more useful one is to think how many of those drinks did I really get anything out of? Did I want or need or enjoy? And I don't think it's more than a third. I see the rest are just drinking for the sake mm. of drinking. Drinking because it's what you do. Drinking because you got your, what you've always done. You've stopped to think whether you're actually enjoying this. So all, and all I did was just take away the drinks that I didn't really want, that I wasn't getting anything out of. And when, once I stripped those away, then you know what you're left with in theory are the, the drinks that you really enjoy. And that so that shifted a, a great mass of drinking. I realized just how many times I was forcing the drink down, you know, forcing the wine down, even though I wasn't particularly enjoying it. You know, having another couple of pints just because the mm. pub was out or just because I'd been talked in. So it was having that, you know, that thought in my head which really helped. Yeah, I, I suppose, you know, a, a lot of talk around um, engaging, actually literally engaging consciously in your drinking all boils down to this kind of buzzword around mindfulness. But I mean, that is that is genuinely what it is, isn't it? When you start thinking about the fact that to, to apply that sort of intellectual conversation around or that intelligent conversation around how many have I had, how many did I want, how many did I need, how many did I enjoy, why you know why am I therefore doing it? There's a there's a level of consciousness there, which I I suppose was, you know, you, you were prompted to thinking that several factors came together at the same time as you mentioned for you to thinking that. But it's kind of what we should all be doing. It's kind of where we should all be. And also thinking about the effect each drink has. Mm. But I realised you know the first drink of the day tastes good and it gives you a change of emotional state and that is basically as i understand the science is that it's to some extent slaking and a thirst but it, it's it's feeding an addiction you know you've gone into withdrawal without alcohol for a day or two whatever and then so when you have that drink it makes you feel good well that's suboptimal that you have that relationship with alcohol but Okay, it's there. Let's own that. So it gives you this change in emotional state. What's interesting then, if you think about the second drink, 
doesn't have the same effect, if any. And the third drink, I don't think at all. So every subsequent drink you have after that first, I realise is just a a a flawed and uh, a flawed and just hopeless attempt to doomed attempt to try and re recreate the feeling that the first drink gave you. And all it does is give you more problems. There's no positives to subsequent drinks. I mean, I would say that works unless you're drinking for oblivion. Yeah. You know, if you're drinking for oblivion, then I don't really know about that because that, that's not what I've ever done. And if you are drinking for oblivion, then having, you know, drinking in moderation isn't going to get you there. No, but also if you're if you're drinking for oblivion, you know, which unfortunately sometimes people are, you're you're not really able to apply that needed, enjoyed and wanted because all of them are needed. doesn't matter whether you're enjoying them yeah. and you want every single one of them and there's no limit to when you're suddenly going to say enough because the goal is oblivion and not caring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that. And I guess so. so in there... In amongst all of, of that is, I suppose, the um, be, be aware of how much you're drinking, absolutely, um, but also be aware of why you're drinking. Um, and, you know, with my sort of coaching hat on, I always say to people, you know, what are the jobs you're giving alcohol to do here? Because we do give it a job, you know, we we want to change our mind state, Um what what is the job you're giving it in this situation? Is it relaxation? Is it enhancement? Is it stress relief? Is it confidence? You know what what is it? And be very very mindful of whether it's actually doing it for you. Yeah, I think that's I think that's I think that's true. But I think you know what does he what does he do for you? I honestly think I've got more of a problem with eating, but <laughs> you know there's a concept comfort eating i've never understood that because the one thing comfort eating doesn't give you is comfort the, the, while it's in your mouth it might give you some comfort then you swallow it and you just bloody hate yourself for it afterwards i mean nobody ever said oh, i'm glad i i ate all that food when away you might conceivably say oh i'm glad i had all that to drink because i had a great night that is possible mm. you know so i you know so in terms of what job it does for you, I'm sort of I'm anti-food and pro-alcohol, which I which I don't, which I don't mean to. But unless it's oblivion, unless that's the job you want it to do to switch you off completely, then whatever other job you want it to do, it'll do it more efficiently if you drink less in the end, because less is more. The less you drink, the more it'll have and the more and the more you'll and 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 just the more you'll enjoy what you do also i'm still learning that it's really interesting but it's really interesting just i'm still i learned something the other day mm. which you would have thought i would have picked up on by now is that my wife doesn't drink much but if she drinks wine she drink red wine and so you know once or twice a week might open a bottle of red wine and we'll share that. Often between us, we won't finish the bottle. Some, somebody bought me a bottle of white wine for some reason. 
but there was only a bit of red left. So my wife had the red and I just opened the white. And the white was gone within an hour. And it was a very, very simple, mundane thing, I suddenly realised, is that I just, I drink white wine a lot quicker than I drink red wine. I mean, it's so startlingly obvious, mm. but I'd, I'd never really clocked it before. Because mm. I think white wine, either for me or for everybody, is just easier to drink. It's just more gloggable. Red wine is just sort of more challenging. <laughs> Arguably, you know, so I mean, it's just a simple lesson. You've just got to keep your eyes open for these things. It's just, um, again, it comes back down to that sort of mindfulness, awareness. I think that idea of just being your own observer, you know, the, the, the pace at which you drink, which is something you picked up on there, you know, just the relative ease with which certain drinks slip down, whether they're actually quenching your thirst, whether you're actually enjoying the taste, whether they are, you know, enhancing your evening or, you know, you can, I, I mean, I've, I've drank a vast amount in my day and I've, I've almost kind of pushed on through drinking stuff that I wasn't enjoying. Um, yeah, you know, stuff that's well, too heavy. Why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. Why do we do that? You know, just it's there, so I'll, I'll just get it down. Um, you know, there's another interesting mental image, and this came from AA, not not from me, but somebody went to AA mm. and told me about it. And he says a really useful mental image he came up with, which got to the which. It kind of has its roots, its roots in the marketing of alcohol, where the woman said, or somebody said at the meeting, he said, when you go, it was in the summer, he said, you got this, you think you drink, you want a beer, and you got this mental image of a beautiful cold pint of lager, say, with condensation on the outside in a beer garden. That's your image. And that's your image, not only because you've seen that, but that is the marketing image. Particularly at that time of year, you will see. Why wouldn't you see that picture? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they use that picture if you if you if you're selling product? Looks great. So that's why you have that mental picture. And she said, like, I suggest an alternative mental picture. Every time you think of a beer, don't think of that, but think of like your third pint, two third drunk, two thirds empty. In other words, it's it's gone warm. It's all smeared with crisp grease or lipstick or something, and there's wasps buzzing around it. Have that image in your head instead. Mm. And it's just, that's, you know, it's another thing in your toolkit. It's a really good one because effectively what you're what you're doing is you're, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. The marketing image clearly, um, liquid refreshment, tantalizingly gorgeous pub gardens, condensation on a lovely glass of cider, um, you know, thirst slaking stuff. And that is that is the the that's the dream, isn't it, in the summer? Or it's the pink, you know, it's the pink rose wine, whatever it might be. But that's not, as you say, that's not that that puts that puts alcohol on the pedestal. You talk about this in your book. It puts alcohol on a sort of undeserved pedestal. That might be the first part. Yes. That might be the first pint, but it's not the reality of the ongoing drinking session. And I had another thought that was I'm in a conversation. I mean, it was a, a wholly unoriginal conversation about what we do if we won the lottery. <laughs> what occurred to me that night, I was thinking, what would I do? And I just thought, what I'd do, I'd spend it on 
big ad campaigns, billboards, whatever it took. And it wouldn't be lecturing. It wouldn't be um, hectoring. It would just be images of, of like half-drunk, smeared glasses of beer. You know, or people just looking bored while they're drinking instead of all looking fantastically happy, which is what you see on all advert on or alcohol advert. And just, I don't even know if this notional poster campaign have words on it, but the message would be if there were words, like, alcohol isn't that great all the time. Mm. That's what I'd spend my money. If I want 178 million, I'd spend at least 5 million on that. And I'd spend the rest on drink. <laughs> no. I love it. That's a joke. I, um, I actually, funny enough, I was having a conversation with someone only this morning about um, alcohol marketing. And it's, I, I was talking about it in, in the context of TV, actually. I was saying, wouldn't it be funny if, or interesting and way more truthful, if um, instead of a 30 second TV ad, you just let the camera roll and you know see see how the evening plays out um because obviously yeah. the, there's a wonderful image painted of you know over a certain spirit man meets woman in bar and you know dreams are fulfilled and the fantasy is complete but you know the the, the scenes as they descend you know, the diminishing marginal returns on that drinking during the course of the evening or you know the the regretted texts uh, or the stumbling around in a particularly unsophisticated way, or you know all yeah. all those kind of the the real you know the real life side of of drinking rather than mm. the sort of the very polished polished view that that advertising would have. The only negative image you get of alcohol, you don't get that rather mundane, bored, tripping up. If you fall over, bang your head and gash it wide open and end up being blue lighted. Mm. There are those images in TV dramas and public health films. But we're not talking about that. That's exceptional. It's, you know, it's it's the other stuff. I mean, the other the other big thing, which I just before I just before I forget to mention it, which I just think is massive, is social norming. Where the biggest, I honestly think the biggest single fallacy, the biggest lie that drinkers are led to believe and lead others to believe is that everyone else drinks as much as them. Every drinker tells that lie. Everybody drinks as much, much as I do, or compared to X, Y, and Z, I hardly drink anything. Every drinker's got that. Now, if you ask if you ask a drinker, a drinker like I was, uh, what percentage of all drinkers are drinking 14 units a week or less? If you ask that question of a drinker, they will normally say none, no one. Might say 5%. Well, the answer is 70%. So 70%. Percent of drinkers. So in this in this cohort, there's not teetotalers, 
or for religious or whatever reasons aren't drinking at all, this is of all drinkers, 70% are drinking very moderately. Right, so it's a big drink. That's so interesting. You're the outlier. Now, sit there, sit there propping up the bar on your six pint and by all means stand there and say the 14 units limit is a nonsense, what do the doctors know? Right, but if that's, you know, if that's what you want to believe, fine. But don't sit there saying everybody drinks like me. Everybody drinks this way because it's just not true. It's just not true. And even, and even allowing for a big margin of error, more than half of uh, more than half of people are drinking moderately. The problem we've got is that drinkers like me and perhaps you surround yourselves with other drinkers. You know, when I went to university, went up, you know, left home, went to university, made a new group of friends. Let's say I had two dozen friends and acquaintances I made at university when I came to London. By an astonishing coincidence, they were all drinkers. Because hmm. I surround myself with other drinkers just to reinforce our behaviour. Yeah. And then we tell ourselves the world is that. We go to the pub, we think everybody goes to pubs. A lot of people go to pubs, but half of the pop half of the adult population never go to a pub or a bar. So loads do. Yeah, yeah. Loads yeah, don't no, I, as well. I totally get that. And I've very, very guilty of that in, in my past, I think, because we all, we all are. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. It's, it's, when, when I was, um, when, when I was, well, I left, you know, university, went into working life and stuff. I always used to sort of say, oh, I went to the, I went to work in the advertising industry and uh, the creative industry and they just happened to drink a lot. And I'm like, who are you kidding it was a magnet. It was a magnet for me to surround myself by people where my permission would be granted. You know, and I can look back now and say that's not so, but it was. But that in itself is a is a fallacy. Mm. It to the extent that I mean, I don't know what what would you consider a sober industry? Accountancy? I don't know. What what is a so, okay, so if the creative industry in itself, that tells its own story. If you're saying lots of people drink, it's a big drinking working culture, then in your mind, logically, you must have an example of a non-big drinking working culture. Yeah, you're right. right. Now, let's say, let's say accountants were measurably drunk less. People like you or me, we could have gone and worked in an accountancy practice, we would have drunk just as much. Here's what would have happened. First week there, you're making friends, you go for a coffee. By the end of the first week, you say, oh, should we go for let's go to the pub? Now, some wouldn't come. Some would come and have one drink and go. One or two would still be there at closing time with you. Those people would become your friends. They would be your people, you, yeah. If you're a popular figure with lots of friends, then you may be drag more people into the drinking culture yourself because they like doing mm -hmm. it. And so it goes on. I mean, I'm always, I'm always thinking it's a bit lazy and dangerous to say, you know, the British drinking culture, as though it's a thing that in itself is social norming. Yes, it's pretty pervasive, but it's not for the reasons I've said statistically as pervasive as we as we like to make out. And when we say it is. 
all we do is yet another little green light to ourselves. Yeah, let's drink. Because everybody drinks. Mm. You know, dragging ourselves away from that. I mean, it's, it's interesting. The trouble is both sides of the argument. So the public health lobby will propagate this myth. It's a big problem, drinking culture, everybody's drinking too much. They will say that because they need to, you know, to get attention, to to create the worries, to get people to take action. They need to, frankly, exaggerate the problem. The problem's very real, but they need to exaggerate. The, the harder thing to get your head around, which is counterintuitive at first, is why the drinking industry doesn't go, hey, look, 70% of people are drinking in moderation. What's your problem? But they can't have that because they need mm. they need the social norming. They need the idea out there that everybody's drinking. They need that because that shifts product for them. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, I the, the um, it's the whole concept, isn't it, of the whole birds of a feather flock together as well, and it just sort of allows you to be able to. I mean, for years I stayed firmly happy in my you know my drinking behaviors because everywhere I looked I was able to say not only are other people doing the same but I'm not as bad as Bob over there um or I'm not as bad as Jill so you know everything's everything's funky and it's fine and and I I guess it also comes back therefore to the sort of fact that we have this very black and white view I know you mentioned it in your book but I totally agree with you it's a very black and white view of normal drinkers and then alcoholics and you know if we're not feeling like we're um you know if we don't i suppose identify with the stereotype of an alcoholic then we're a normal drinker and that label alone is enough to keep us yeah. happy with where we are it's a, it's a way of othering it comes from a good place mm. making alcoholism because it makes it like a disease so it takes the blame and the shame away from the person who's got this disease inverted commas but I don't think it's a disease any more than, you know, if you smoke 60 a day, you're not a smokeaholic. Hmm. That's not an ism. You're just addicted to an, an addictive substance. And I just it's, it's thoroughly unhelpful to talk in terms of alcoholism, of somebody being an alcoholic, because then it becomes a binary thing, almost like whether you've got blue eyes or brown eyes. You're either an alcoholic or you're not. And it's, it's quite easy, given the mental images we have, to argue you're not an alcoholic, whatever your definition of an, of an alcoholic is. I yeah. think it's much more helpful to see it for what it is, which is a, a highly addictive substance. And if you're drinking 14 units every week, you're slightly addicted. If you're drinking mm. 30 or 40, you're somewhat more addicted. You, you're drinking, as I was, 50 to 100 units, you're very addictive you're drinking too much and you are dependent so basically every, everybody's on a scale yeah everyone well, everybody's on this every it's on a continuum yeah you know the, so you ju just see it like that this like this 14 unit idea i mean i get that i get the stats you know but if you drink 14 units or less you're basically okay you know, as you go up, you know, 20, 30 units, you're probably okay, but your, your, le you know, your level of risk is increasing. You go beyond 30, 40, 50 units, your level of increase 
it goes up exponentially. So if you go from 15 to 30 units, you are not increasing your risk by as much as if you go from 30 to 60 units. It's a much greater effect. The good news is that looking at it the other way around in terms of reduction, is that there are there are there are significant marginal gains to be had. And you don't get this. You don't get people, you don't get health professionals saying, look, just cut just if you can get it down from 50 units to 40 units, that'd be great. You don't hear that. They say 14 units, get it down to 14 units. That's the message people are getting. 14 units, get it down to that. That's the same. Nothing else is sold. Mm. So they don't they don't they don't afford us they don't give us credit us with the intelligence to take that to take to take that message in hmm. and that that's a problem because if you're drinking like i was or you were by the sound of it 14 units is a distant dream you can't possibly get down to that now i would argue you probably can get down to that but in the meantime getting to 50 to 40 is going to do you relatively more good than going from 20 to 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So, you know, that's just every little counts. And it gives people a really realistic target to shoot for as well. And, and one yeah. that doesn't necessarily, you know, change, change your life fundamentally. And in fact, as you've kind of said, you know, very persuasively within your book, what you remain drinking, you enjoy more. Because you're always, you know, when whatever you've brought your level down to, the chances are you are enjoying those drinks, valuing those drinks, savoring those drinks, remembering those drinks, you know, much, much, much more. Um, so it makes total makes total sense to me. So what would you, what would you say, Adrian, to anyone who knows that they're drinking far too much and is actually just, you know, reluctant for? Um, understandable reasons to even sit down and do the calculation, sit down and work out how much they're drinking. What would you, what would you say? I would say, look, it's going to be difficult to confront it. You're going to want to do it. Hmm. I would say the biggest encouragement I'd offer is you write it down. Right. Firstly, don't even think of it as alcohol. Think of it as marbles or something else. To take the shame out of it. Right. And you'll get a big number over the week. Now, that's great because that gives you something to work down from. If you do it, class, classically, how people do it, you say, right, I'm going to cut down and I'm going to start counting my units. So you cut down that week you will probably get a nice low number. And maybe the following week, but in the way of these things, you'll lose focus a bit and it will go up a bit. Then it might go up a bit more and then you'll think, well, I'm failing. Look, my graph's going in the wrong direction. So controversially, I would say, if you're going to start counting your units, give yourself a free pass to fill your boots, drink what you like for two weeks and count up all the units. Give yourself a nice mm. high number, a great big red wadge of flashing <laughs> alarm signal wrap. 
give yourself that to to work down for. Mm. I know this sounds like a bit of a sort of tangential thing, but I was um, I, I was watching a, a documentary. Stacey Dooley was um, doing one of her documentaries the other day, and she'd gone and she was confronting the subject of of death. She was confronting the fear that she feels over the subject of death, and she'd gone and spent some time at an undertaker's. The main man there sort of said to her at the end of the show, you know, um, has this helped? And she admitted that she still wasn't really at peace with the whole thing. And he said to her, you know, just because you've confronted it doesn't mean you're going to die. Just because you confronted death doesn't mean you're going to die. Just because you write a will doesn't mean you're going to die. Just because you count your drinks doesn't mean you're committing to never drinking again. It's just confronting it and understanding it, isn't it? It's just being aware of it and kind of going, okay, all right, now I know. Now I now I know I can do with that what I want. And people always sort of say to me sometimes, you know, you're you're a sobriety coach. And I'm like, I'm not a sobriety coach. I'm a mindset coach when it comes to alcohol, which is, you know, we're not shooting for sobriety here. We're shooting we're shooting for something where you find a happy, a happy level of drinking where you don't feel conflicted. All right. So if you write all of your numbers down and you don't feel conflicted, then in a way, no problem. Yeah. I think another good exercise is to just mark each drink. Have a little next to each drink, have a two columns. Mm. Put one plus points, negative points. And do that for each drink up to drink eight or however many you're going to have. <laughs> I guarantee. You'll start off with plus points and no negatives and end up with only negatives and no positives. And even, I think even when you, so you can do that over the course of the evening um, and then kind of put a, full, put a full stop to the whole thing by also just noting down how you feel the next day. Because I mean, obviously, you know, the, the sort of the, not, not only is there a sort of diminishing return on the drinking during the course of the evening, but every drink that's got more negative points than plus points against it is probably contributing to the hangover that you did not need to have. Yeah. You're getting no better and only more detrimental or health effects, if you like, but certainly your risk of a hangover. Yeah. So that's so that's really okay, so that's brilliant advice. So don't be afraid to um count up your units and at least know where your start point is. And then again, it's just this sort of mindfulness of drinking and just being honest, honest, because you, you can do it all on an app anyway, can't you? You basically get one of these kind of tracking apps and you can do your counting, make your notes. And accept it's, dif accept it's difficult. You know, if you've got a lifetime's habit, it's difficult. And I think moderating in one important sense is, is, is harder than stopping. If you're stopping, you make one decision. And everyone knows you've made it not to drink. And if they've got anything, you know, unless they're horrible people, they won't force you into drink. Whereas if you if you're moderated, you've got a hundred decisions to make a week. Yeah. If you know you stop drinking with impunity, then you're thinking, right? Am I going to drink tonight? I'm out with X tonight, but I'm seeing wine tomorrow night. Well, people, because you 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 used to drinking with these people, they it'll be like you're not engaging with them properly in the evening if you don't. So you've got to manage that. You've got to think, well, do, do I have another bottle or don't? I mean, just over and again. And you don't. And it is a project without end. You know, you people celebrate, you know, the third anniversary of their sobriety. There's no equivalent in moderation. 
because there's no definite true. start point. There's certainly not a definite stop point, a definite stop point. Yeah. So, you know, it is, it is doable. But it's more about changing mindset. It's more about changing mindset. People say, what are your tips? Well, it's partly because I, I don't feel like I've got anything original to say to that. You know, have the odd day off, drink a alternate wine with water when you're drinking wine. Um, Avoid the high ABVs. No alcohol alternative. You know, all that. And they've got their place. But for me, it's more about mindset. Mm. It's more about all the things I've talked about, thinking, you know, not everybody drinks like this. I mean, you're a bad person. But, you know, don't go around thinking, oh, everybody drinks, so I will too. And also remember, less is more, less is more, less is more. The less you drink, the better it is. I think that's the key thing I'd really love to leave people with because, as I say, it's not about um, – I mean, some some people go into reappraising their drinking and actually, after a fashion, they realise that it is either easier just to stop or actually they're enjoying – you know, life. They've they've done. They've taken a break. Maybe like you said at the beginning. You know, they've taken a break a month or three off, and they've just thought, you know what, life is so much better. But I think otherwise, it's like have some of those really clear guidelines in place um, to minimise the degree to which you're always having to make decisions. Have some really clear, non-negotiable guidelines in place, and remember that the less you drink, the more you will appreciate what you drink. Adrian, thank you. Enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and getting curious. Please rate, review and follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're choosing to listen. And don't forget to tune in to the next episode. And you can find out more about The Big Drink Rethink by heading to my website, thebeliefscoach.com. That's the beliefs, B-E-L-I-E-F-S coach.com, where you will see clear links to the show. Thank you.